0: All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalm 57, 58, and 59. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, while you're turning there, just want to go over some things coming up here at the church. Teen night is August 28th. They're going to meet at Beale Park at 5 p.m. for some sand volleyball and maybe some softball. Bring your gloves and your bats, and I'm sure they'll have volleyballs for you there, and they'll do their Bible study there. That's August 28th coming up. Uh, our afterglow, our next one, is September 2nd at 7 p.m. That's a Friday night. Um, potluck, September 4th, that Sunday, after second service. We're having burgers and hot dogs for that. Bring a side if you would. Men's breakfast is coming up September 10th at 7 a.m. That's a Saturday. And then our last baptism, I think, for the year will be uh, September 18th out of Mazingo. Probably do that around one thirty is what we're going to do to meet out there. So if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've never been water baptized and you'd like to get that done, um, we'd love to baptize you. So um, let me know that, that you're interested in that, especially you folks online. If you've been watching for a while and, and uh, maybe you're from a different city or something and you're gonna, you want to make the trek over here, we'd love to do that. But please let me know either via text or through the Messenger app or whatever. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. As David writes these beautiful songs about the troubles that he's going through, he teaches us that, he can, that we can come to you as he does. Um, in his distress, in his difficult times, as, uh, as J.C. prayed earlier, we can come to you and you give us the proper perspective. When we lay our needs before you, when we cry out to you, although the certain circumstances that we find ourselves in are overwhelming, when our eyes are lifted up beyond the circumstances to your face, it puts everything in its place, and we remember eternity. So we pray that you do that for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an interesting thing. David has a lot of enemies, and I think that's just the way it is when you become a king or given more responsibility. There's just more adversity. Sometimes it's people, but a lot of times it's the circumstances. Um, you know, we you have this conversation in our capitalist society about how much these CEOs get paid, and it's absolutely ridiculous. And I don't think you'd want to be in their shoes for a couple days. And if you if you ever were, you might second guess the, the thought of how much money they make, because everything rests on their shoulders, all the decisions, uh, all the hiring, all these things. It's important. And there's a lot of problems that come along with a, a lot of responsibility. Um I remember when I wasn't a pastor, but wanted to be a pastor. Oh Lord, let me, you know, and I, and I, and I kind of knew what it was going to be, but I didn't know what it was going to be at all. And there's a lot of things that, that aren't the fun parts. You know, I like teaching. I like having study time and I like, and I like sharing and I like people that appreciate the teaching, but that's not all there is to it. (laughs) There's a lot more that goes on. Um, and it isn't fun, a lot of it. It's just a lot of it's duty, a lot of it's responsibility. Today, I forgot, forgot the coffee. I forgot to buy the coffee. And, and, of course, we have a bunch of servants that are wonderful and have great hearts and filled in the gap for me and were gracious to me and said, no problem, no problem. But there's a lot of things that you can, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with this uh, position, as, as it does with David here. Um, and I don't have any of the responsibility David has. I mean, I can't imagine running a country and what that must entail and uh, the heartache. And you talk about not being able to go home and leave your job at the office, you know. I mean, he went to bed thinking about every decision he ever made, second-guessing himself, praying his way through it. And uh, it's a big deal. And so David finds himself in a tough spot. Um, he's being chased. He's got people that hate him. And, and uh, the first Psalm, Psalm 57, is just, just general enemies. Out there, The second psalm is going to be about the lack of justice that he finds in his country. Um, the justice system in Israel is in a decline and then will be in decline all the way until their captivity into Babylon. Um, and that's hard to be a part of, and I think we can all identify with that. I, can think, I think our country is in a decline, especially judicially. And psalm 59, then, the last psalm that we'll go over today is uh, just an understanding of justice and that it will take place. Um, maybe not in our time frame or the way we thought it was going to go, but it it will happen. And so justice will be served. And so Psalm 57, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, he cries out, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these uh, uh, Colomites have passed by. I will cry out, to God most high, to God who performs all things for me, He shall send from heaven and save me. He He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth His mercy and His truth. That's His cry. It's His initial uh, concern and, and heart. Uh, you know, just almost screaming for help, basically. God, help! 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 I need help now. You know, now that'll change throughout the song. Um, it'll change to a more settled place, a more calm. As he cries out to the one who has the power to save him, he begins to remember God has the power to save him. It's almost like you have to say it out loud, you know, in your panic, and then you hear yourself and you begin to rest, and that is a promise from God. God will take care of me. Um, David is targeted because of his righteousness. Um, Sometimes we're targeted because of our guilt, (laughs) and we kind of have that coming, you know, oh, Lord, save me from my enemies. And what we mean by is, save me from my sin that brought about these enemies in my life. That's a whole different thing. David is just crying out for help because of his righteousness. He's he's chosen to be killed. He's chosen to be hunted by those who don't like his righteousness or don't appreciate him um, for his righteousness. And that's a different thing. Jesus uh, would fall into that category, obviously. He, he was the one that was able to um, stand up and be righteous. And, and that's what brought him to the cross. He was too gracious. He was too merciful. He was too whatever uh, for the world or for the religious system. Um, and so they sought to kill him. David's in that same position and you may find yourself in that place. Now here's the temptation. The temptation for that is to maybe back off a little bit, a little less righteous, a little less out loud, a little less uh, dogmatic about my stance. You know, maybe I can, and and I don't know if you felt the pressure, but the world, that's what it does is, and that's what cancel culture is. It's just a new word for it. The the, the old word used to be, they pressure you, um, but we call it canceling. Um, they pressure you into changing your view. Your view is not acceptable to us, therefore we pressure you with all sorts of different means at their disposal. We pressure you. Now, as Christians, we do the same thing. That's what all the boycotts are all about. You know, I'm never buying Levi jeans again because they support this agenda or that agenda. That's that's pressure to try to get them to change their viewpoint and their stance. Um, when it comes to righteousness and unrighteousness, and that's where we need to stand. Um, you're on one side or the other. When you come across, um, or when you stand for righteousness and someone who's unrighteous and doesn't appreciate your viewpoint comes across you or this facility, for example, um, our church, our organization here, there will be pressure to change. Um, And that comes in all sorts of different forms. I don't know how many manifestos I get in the mail, uh, here at the church. I just throw them in the trash. I, I read the, fr- dear brother, I I, I I need to introduce myself to you because I have many revelations from God. Eh, whatever, you know, and know it, it's 27,000 pages long and they spent like eight bucks to send it to me. It's like, I don't think so. There's no private interpretation of scripture to tell me that you've got something that I don't get on my own by the Holy spirit. You know, that's just, it's false. Um, but there they are. And a lot of it is pressure, you know, you need to change your view on this. I, all, I'm just trying to lead Calvary chapels all over the world back to Jesus Christ and the scriptures. I don't think you are. I mean, you know, who are you? Where are you? When are you going to give me your name? And, and the first page had, this is the number of the beast. Now you got to take out the zeros, he wrote. And I went, what? You, there's no zeros in the number. Of the, what are you talking about? You know, so there's just something. There's a screw loose um, in these guys. Uh, and, and they spent a lot of money to to, to to tell you how loose their screws are, you know. And I feel bad for them because I don't read it. Nobody does. Nobody reads their stuff. I hate to break it to them, but nobody's going to go through their manifesto. And so you throw it away. That's pressure. The world has lost their mind, okay? You talk about losing your marbles and screws loose, um, and they come in and they try to tell the church, no, you guys are too dogmatic about this. Don't you see that's archaic? Don't you see that's old-fashioned? Don't you? See? And they give you all this stuff, and it's like you, you, you've moved away from— when you say those things and try to pressure us into changing, you don't understand what you're saying because you don't know God. You don't know Jesus. You don't know the Scriptures. You use Scriptures sparingly and at your convenience to— validate what you believe but you've taken them out of context you haven't placed them in the light of the fact that there is a creator who has authority who is has dominion over people whose son and our whole religious system of christianity believes in that there was a son sent to die for sins and now you're saying there's no sins you're not telling us to slightly move off of a topic you're telling us to deny our faith in the belief in a savior You know, and but they don't. It doesn't compute to them because they're not thinking about the whole. Because they're not believers to begin with. That's what's happening. David has enemies that sees him now bringing the nation of Israel into a right relationship with God, and that means that they can't do what they want to do. And so there's unrighteousness that's unhappy with the righteousness being brought in. All right, that was a long intro here. In my personal walk, let's bring it down to not Calvary, not the United States, not but just you, okay, You have brought Jesus Christ into your life. Your flesh is not happy about that. the enemy, our Satan, is not happy about that. There will be pressure to push back against that righteousness, and there will be a temptation for us to lighten up, not go so far. Don't be the Bible thumper, which is the words. We use or others use to describe our zeal for truly being born again and wanting to follow Jesus Christ. We don't want to go that far. You don't want to do that much. You don't want to be that extreme. If there is a God and He created all and His dominion over all and He sent His Son who always existed to become a man in the form of a baby, to grow up, to die on a cross for our sins, I don't think you can be too extreme when it comes to following him. Otherwise, if you think it's too extreme to devote your entire life to him, to give over everything to him then there's no, I mean, there's no point to the cross. It, it nullifies, it makes God a liar. It makes the word of God void. It makes it a smorgasbord of a buffet of things you can, I want the green beans, but I don't want the meatballs kind of thing. That's not how it works. It's all of it or nothing. David brings that to the table and people aren't happy with it. So he cries out to the one who has the standard because if there is a God who created the heavens and the earth, there is a moral standard. And the only reason and the only way we can know that moral standard is by paying attention to him. We don't get to dictate that because we're the created. It's a, it's a simple understanding, but it's hard to grasp, I guess. And so David cries out to the one who has the moral standard, to the one who has brought him to this place in his life to walk in righteousness and is leading his people Because God made him king, therefore I want you to make your principles that are my principles, the principles of the nation, I want you to take them there, he finds himself in a bad place. So he cries out to the one who put him in the position and to the one who gave him the morals. Help. I need help. Verse 4, my soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire. Whose teeth are are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Protect me from these guys. You know, I'm 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 surrounded by these uh, ravenous uh, lions. He calls them, and they're out for my destruction. They use words. You know, um, verse six. They have prepared a net for my steps. They're trying to catch him. Trying to uh, trap him. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit for me. into the midst of it. they themselves have fallen. Pause. That's what Salem means. So as David is crying out, they've got nets for me, they've dug a pit for me. but as I observe, they've fallen into their own traps, which is what most people do, when they argue against biblical principles, when they argue against Christianity, the the very net that they lay out that they think is to trap you into a place and corner you into a place of, see, how are you going to back out of that one, Christian? Doesn't make sense, does it, Christian? Well, when you help them through that and you follow it to its logical conclusion, whatever net they lay, I mean, anything, they fall into it themselves. You've just acknowledged that there's a God. Well, sure, it's fine. I don't mind saying that. Well, a lot goes with that. When you say that there's a God, he has to be perfect. Well, why is that? Because if he's not perfect, then he's going to die someday, and then we're all in big trouble. You know, he has to be perfect. He can't make mistakes. And so if he is perfect and he doesn't make mistakes, then whatever he says is right. And you go all the way through the scriptures, and you can take them all the way through that. Starting at that one point that they started with, you acknowledge that there's a God. If there's a God, he has to be perfect. He has to be righteous. If there's any unrighteousness, any fault in him, it will be his downfall. And then there will be no creation at all. There'll be no God. He'll be dead. So they fall into their own trap. And David is seeing that. He sees them fall into their own pits. My heart is steadfast, David says. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awake the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. He's moved his eyes from the problem and from the enemies, and he's cried out, made his request known to God, and he begins to do what he can do. I can't do a lot of things, David says. There's a lot of things I can't do, but what I can do is I can praise you even louder. I can do it among the people, out loud, so people can see me. I'm not going to cower in a corner and hope that this wave of persecution passes by. No, I'm going to get in the waves. I'm going to stand out loud even even more than I have been. I'm going to be even louder. That's the answer. It's, it's not to retreat. I think we saw that uh, in certain aspects, I think, in the last three years, um, especially. It's been an interesting 2019, 20, and 21. Um, Those that retreated, those that backpedaled, those that went the other direction and tried to blend or mitigate any kind of pushback they were going to get from any of the circumstances. I don't even want to name one. It could be political. It could be uh, from legislation. It could be from the pandemic. It could be anything. Those that decided to backpedal and to compromise found themselves swallowed up. They were absolutely swallowed up by it. it. It, whoever they were that was pushing back, never, ever gave them quarter. Never gave them room. Never said, okay, good, I'm glad you found your position up. Nope. They just continued to trample them underfoot. But those who stood up all the way to the end are finding themselves victorious. I give the example of um, Don McClure's son, who is the Calvary Chapel pastor out in California, who stood up against the shutdowns. He says, no, we're not shutting down. And they, they, the, the news story says there were $200,000 or $100,000 worth of fines, but with all the other things included, it was $4 million that they had acquired. They said, we're not shutting down. We're not doing it. They don't have to come. Nobody has to come to church, but we're not doing it. And just the court decision recently just reversed all those fines. None of them. None of them were put upon. Them. They were completely, completely let off and said it was unreasonable. It was un, unenforceable and, and so on. And so there was victory there. That was for the people that didn't back down. that's just one example of many. David says, as they cause me to want to back down or trying to push me to back down, this is when I stand up all the more. Um, I'm going to be even more righteous. I'm going to be more out loud. Um, And that is the way of a warrior. You look at the armor of God. You know, we go over the armor of God a lot. In Ephesians, you've got the, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the the helmet of salvation, the sheep shod with the preparation of the gospel, the, um, uh, the, the sword of the spirit, and so on. There's no protection for the back at all. When you go through that, you are protected provided you're going head on. You have your offensive weapon. You have your helmet. The eyes are open in the front. You've got your breastplate of righteousness. You turn and run, you're exposed. And that's the way it is with Christianity. You keep moving forward um, God's called us to that. He's not called us to shrink in shame uh, at the name of Jesus or at the at the uh, at, at the at the pressures of the world. And so uh, David is doing that. I'm going to do this. This is. I know that they're laying nets for me, but I can see them falling into their own traps. I see God is standing with me. He's protecting my throne and my rule and my reign. I have nothing to fear. And he, this song takes him to that place. Psalm 58. Justice. Justice is not. Uh, is not where we'd like it. Um, It's uh, in decline, and he can recognize that. He says, Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? No. In heart, you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like... Um, a deaf cobra that stops its ears, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully he's concerned about the judges and their their uh their inability to take that tough position that's a hard place um to be a judge i don't know you know I suppose as a lawyer and a prosecutor um you're kind of excited to get that appointment. you know um I got to be a judge. But with that black robe and sitting in that position on the judgment seat, that gives you a lot of responsibility to, um, well, you hold people's lives in your hand. And emotions really can't be a part of it. They're not supposed to be. And what we see, I think, in our justice system and the way it's in decline right now is there's a lot of emotionalism attached to the crimes. It's like, well, that person and that thing but they don't think about the victims or the responsibility of that punishment that needs to take place, uh, for deterrence for the next group, for the victim's sake, all these other things, the focus now and has become just on the criminal, you know, uh, their background, their circumstances brought them to this place. They, 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 had a, they had a hard life, whatever it may be. And here they are. And, uh, that's where mandatory sentencing came from. You know, we, we get that. All right, well, we don't need mandatory sentencing. I think that's ridiculous that they should have mandatory. Five years for a gun crime, five years for, you know, possession, five years, whatever it may be that we're upset with, and usually upset because either we're charged with it or someone we love who's just a really good person and just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. The, the, you know, five years, it's just, I wish. Well, they put mandatory sentencing in because of those emotions. There's a lot going on with justice that needs to take place. Justice should be administered for justice's sake. Nobody has to be happy about it. Of course, nobody's happy about it. Nobody wants to go to prison. Nobody wants their loved one to go to prison. Nobody wants to see that take place personally. We all want the leniency. We all want them to get let off or the probation, but you can't do that for everybody. It can't be that's why being in a judge position is a very difficult place because you have to ignore all that you can't pay attention to the weeping and crying in the courtroom there's something bigger going on here justice must be served our god is a just god i we think that we've i think we misunderstand forgiveness or Um, the payment for our sins has been paid for. I think we misunderstand that. We get the idea that God has just overlooked everything. He's just not going to do anything about it. He's just decided, I've decided to give everybody a, a, a get out of jail free card today. And that's what they look at Jesus as. No, God's wrath, his justice was fulfilled and poured out upon his son. God dealt with sin in one of the most vicious ways you could possibly deal with sin, one of the most wrathful ways, not just cutting someone's head off, which is relatively quick and painless, but he decided to use the cross, which is a torturous, agonizing, purposefully so, long, horrible death. That's justice for our sins. My sin deserved the cross, and Jesus took that upon himself. You want to know why he was vehemently praying and crying in the garden to where blood came out of his pores he was crying so hard? Because of what was about to take place, God's wrath, his justice was going to be administered to him for me and you and everybody else's sin at once. That's an intense, painful punishment from God. Nobody here can probably comprehend it. He didn't just say, Eh, it's okay. No. He was a perfect God who demands perfect justice, but became the sacrifice at the same time. You can't handle it. I'll take it myself. But he, it was done. The judgment was handed out. I don't know that we understand that. I think we'll see it. I think when we look, like John said in the book of Revelation, when he saw the one who was able to open the scroll, the lamb who was slain, He saw Jesus in that form. I don't want to go too far with this because I don't have too many other biblical examples, but when John saw Jesus in heaven about to open up the scrolls, he saw a slaughtered lamb as if Jesus was in the condition he was as he was on the cross. That's what he saw. It's an intense thing. Um, Justice is very important. Um, I've noticed recently, and I'm trying not to bring too many current events into the teaching this morning, but it's, it's kind of hard not to. Um, and so I'll use myself as an example. I've been arrested a couple times in my life. Um, but honestly, none of them that I was arrested for were for the actual crime that I committed. And here's why I want to bring this up. I um, had, a, had a serious alcohol problem when I was in high school and growing up, um, I drank all the time all the time, drove drunk all the time, blackout drunk all the time. The time that I got my DUI, the time that was sort of a wake-up call, but not enough to get me to quit drinking, but sort of a wake-up call, was when my friends were in the movie, and we were all in the movie, and I was so drunk that I couldn't even stay awake. I went out to the car. It was winter. It was during school, probably February, I suppose. And I started the car up. It was a conversion van, if anybody knows what those are. And I went to the back, and I fell asleep in the warm car while my friends were watching the movie. And I woke up to the old police officer's uh, uh, flashlight on the glass. And I come over, and I look. He says, have you been drinking? I said, well, no. (laughs) And that's not how I said it. Um, No. He says, you want to step out of the car? And I got arrested on the spot for driving under the influence. Now, was I? That was our argument. That was our argument. Now, was I guilty? I was absolutely guilty. I was being protected by God, and so was everybody else on the road last night. But at that moment, I was unjustly convicted of a crime that I didn't commit, and I was sure of it. And I tell you what, most of my friends and family believed it too. Was I guilty? I was absolutely guilty. See, we got to be careful of that. I didn't do that. I did this. Look, there are two kingdoms in this world. There's the kingdom of light in Jesus Christ, and there's the kingdom of darkness. If you're standing over here in the kingdom of darkness, guess what? You can be, you can be accused of everything and anything, and you are guilty of all of it. All of it. You're in the wrong place. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Then don't be in the wrong place. Walk in light. Stay with Jesus. Stay away from those places. Well, I, it's not my fault that they'll, You know, I was with those people. I didn't do it. They did it. I was just with them. You're guilty. We don't understand. Maybe you're not guilty of the man-made law that was specific to the situation, but spiritually speaking, eternity in mind... I'm absolutely guilty for being in the wrong place. I have no business as a child of God being in the dark. If I'm in the dark, I'm to bring light. And if I turn off my light and I go into the dark, I deserve everything the dark's going to get that night. Everything. We've got to understand what justice is for. Justice is to make sure that everybody knows this dark place has consequences. All day long, it has consequences. And to be there and to think you're going to play around in the dark and not get burned, that's the scripture that comes to mind. Who can think they can take fire to their bosom and not get burned? I can play around in the dark. I just won't get caught or I just won't do the things that they're doing. No, you're in the dark. You're guilty already by walking into that place. David sees the whole thing falling apart. He sees judges being bribed. He sees emotions dictating whether he should administer the law to this person or to that person. There's no consistency anymore. There's a bunch of people charming and trying to skillfully uh, verbalize why this person is so innocent or why they should be let off on technicalities, you know. I get a little frustrated with it sometimes. I get frustrated with myself, not just with... People, but with myself as well. Just the idea that we can dabble and play and then cry foul when something goes wrong while we're there. That's not appropriate. And it's I get concerned when there's no contrition, you know. We need to have that. We need to understand who we are. You're a child of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've given your life to Him have no business being in those places. And if we are, we're guilty. Call it like it is. Start calling your sin what it is. You've transgressed. You've crossed the line. We're not supposed to be there. So verse six, God says, break their teeth in their mouth. O God, break out the fangs of the young lions. It's the second time he said that. Let them flow away as waters which run continually, which uh, when he bends his bow, let his arrows be as as if cut in pieces. Let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes, like a stillborn child of a woman that may not see the sun. I want uh, this wickedness that I see rising up in my country to vanish, to go away. Take care of it. David is calling for justice from God. We don't have it here on earth, but I want you to bring it from, God, from yourself, Lord. Bring it here. Before your pot can feel the burning thorns, and what they mean is before you can set your pot on the, you know, you're cooking outside on the fire, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, as in living and burning wrath. Um, he's going to do that. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. So that men will say, surely there is a reward for righteous, for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges the earth. David ends with, although we may not have solid human judges that are doing what they're supposed to do on this earth, we will be judged by the great judge. And it will take place. So although justice is delayed, justice won't be denied. I think we don't use the word wicked enough. If I'm living in a wicked world and I'm living a wicked life, I should expect wicked judgment. It's just wicked. It's not dabbling. It's not okay. It's not partial. I don't know what words we use to try to minimize the impact that our sin has on this world, but we're acting and being wicked, you know, and it's contrary. Um, and God judges that. Um, he may be patient with us and waiting for us. I mean, like I said, i I drove drunk many times before that final, you know, outcome that needed to happen in my life, um, which I didn't, I didn't repent. Um, I was just caught, but there were many times God was patient with me and gracious, you know, with all the other people on the road. Um, but for someone who's ever felt the sting of that in their own lives, a drunk driver hitting their family members or someone that they know, but it doesn't help, you know, um, it doesn't help. They need justice. They need something. To, they need a conclusion. They need something done. We demand it. Why, why does that bother us? You know, uh, as the world demands justice, I mean, we saw that in the last three years too. We want this kind of justice. We want that kind of justice. We want equity, equality. Um, we want whatever it is. You know, there's lots of ways. Well, in, in order to state that you want justice, you have to agree that there is absolute truth there has to be right and wrong then you can't establish and, and administer justice if there isn't those if there aren't if that doesn't exist you can't teach in 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 your in your college level 30 whatever course that that, uh, that morals are fluid and that there is no absolute truth and that there are, well then you can't have justice it'd be impossible to have justice you can't do that so to demand justice and teach there's no truth Well, it's inconsistent. You see, they fall into their own nets. They fall into their own traps. You can't have it both ways. So uh, what they mean by that is, and what they're trying to get across is, I don't want to be judged for my sins. You need to leave me alone. But they need to be judged for their sins. And it doesn't work that way. Psalm 59. This is, uh, as men were sent to David's house to kill him. You talk about some serious enemies. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity, and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me, and behold, or look. You, therefore, O Lord God of hosts, and the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressor. That's the, what David is saying. It says, I'm, I, it's not like I'm a wanted man or have, a, have an arrest warrant for an actual crime. These guys just want me gone. This is mafia kind of stuff, you know. Um, I've watched a few mafia movies in the past, you know. Uh, I think maybe all of us have seen a few of those gangster movies and all that. And it seems so, what's the polite way of saying this? There's a lot of there's a lot of employee turnover in the mafia. As I watch these movies, and I read actual news stories of what happens in Chicago and New York, and some of Little Sioux City was where I grew up was called Little Chicago. So now you know I'm a thug. I mean I grew up in Little Chicago. Sioux City was called Little Chicago. We had Hell's Angels there too. They had a whole. You know, five-story brick building. The Hells Angels did. And They'd all come into town on Fourth Street, and my dad and I'd drive by and look at all these guys. You know, there they are. You know, rough crowd. Okay, <laughs> there's a lot of employee turnover, and it's it's funny to see these guys kind of hope. Hey, you know, Joey's dead. I get and they 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 made me and put me in his position, and I'm and I'm thinking to myself, Do you really want to be in Joey's position? You know. And I see the world, and I see them trying to uh for example, trying to take out David <sighs> to be replaced by who, and the guy that's orchestrating all this, Absalom more than likely is the is the is his son who's trying to take David out at the time um do you really want David's position, thinking that no one's going to want to take you out in the process? The world eats itself, that's what it does the dark eats itself. There, there's no friends in the dark. Absolutely not. In the wicked world, in the, in, 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 in Satan's culture, there is no friends. He's not fair. He's not even tempered. He, he's called the destroyer for a reason. He just wants to get as many people involved as he can. He's going to destroy as many people as possible. There's no hope over here. There's no hope in the mafia. Um, it's ridiculous. And, and so David finds himself in a place. I can't cry out to anybody in my problems, except for the Lord. They're too strong for me to do anything by myself. They're always there, they're waiting at my house. So he prays, God, bring judgment. Verse six. At evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth, swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. There's the switch. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you. O you his strength or my strength in some versions it says. For God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to me or come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. I guess I think our fear of living a righteous life in this fallen world. Because we are light in a dark place. Is the fear of what's going to happen to me if I do. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, There will be persecution. Um, I don't know that we can avoid that. I don't mean to be hopeless this morning, but I I just think that just comes with the territory. Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Paul ran into the same problem as he changed from being a Pharisee of Pharisees to a, a believer in Jesus Christ. He had 30 guys that vowed not to eat or drink until he was dead. I mean, that's a serious oath, you know. Those are some serious intentions for you. Um, I don't know why we think we would escape that. Um, And so when you decide to live for Christ, when you decide to be light in a dark place, you can expect some unhappy people in your life. They don't want that light. We're fine here in the dark and you show up and turn that light on. That's irritating to us. How dare you expose? You know, it's part of it. And so David says, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. I'm going to cry out even louder, as we learned in the first Psalm. I'm going to cry out to God for my help against the wicked. I'm going to pray. And God's going to laugh at them, he says. I know that. He's going to hold the whole world in derision. He's going to look at them and just say, you're guilty, you know. Verse 11, do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and lying which they speak, consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God rules in Jacob or Israel. And the idea of calling it Jacob, is is deceivers. The nation's at that place right now. Instead of being governed by God, Israel, they're actually a nation of deceivers. To the ends of the earth. I want everybody to know. I want them to see you. Um, when, you know, like when Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. David lived his life that way. I'm, I'm going to live for God, even if I'm standing by myself. Even if I'm standing by myself, I'm going to live for God. And that's what he's saying here. W- wipe everything out. I'm, I'm crying out to the only one that can help me. And no matter who's with me, I'm going to live for God, no matter what. Um, and so David here in this prayer and as being king and as not shrinking in his faith is actually throwing himself into another position of being like with Goliath. I'm, I'm going to be an open target. I'm not, I'm not going to be quiet anymore. I, I, I'm going to wave my arms even faster now. I'm over here. Shoot the arrow over here. You know, um, Aim for me uh, because I know my God will stand up for me. And if I die, then I die. You know, but I'm going to live for Christ. We need to have that kind of zeal. To live righteously in this world is going to take a lot more than just showing up here on Sunday mornings. Not that that's all you do. I don't think that's the case. I know you guys are strong believers and you live out loud in your workplaces and in your homes and with your families and all that. That's good. It's just, it's it's going to get harder. It just is. Um, I mean, there's going to be more persecution. The, 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 the contrast between light and dark is going to be very obvious. There's not going to be a whole lot of gray anymore. And I just want us prepared for that. And I think what these Psalms do is to prepare our hearts for that. You know, it may be too much. So we'll all run out of the you know, church here going, all right, let's go. And there's no fight really waiting for us yet. But the idea is I've trained, I've heard, I'm kind of prepared for this. I'm thinking it through. I'm coming to my conclusions and my decisions now before it's forced upon me. And so when those stresses and trials come my way, I've already decided with, passion, with which path I'm going to take. Now's the time to make those decisions. Um, And that's what David's doing. He's crying out saying, they may be waiting for me, but I'm not going to back down. Verse 14. And that evening they return like growling dogs. They go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. There's just overwhelming crime in the city. He can see it. It's frustrating. Not only are they waiting for him at home, but he can see all the citizens scared to death, you know, Here's his conclusion, verse 16. But that may be the case. There may be overwhelming crime everywhere, but I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises for God is my defense, my God of mercy. See, the world expects us to sing at our baptisms. They expect us to sing at church. They expect us to sing on Wednesday or whenever we're having a great time. We're on the mountaintop. What they don't expect is to see us like Paul and Silas singing in the prisons. How can you be so joyful? Why are you say so, we've crushed you. Ah, you haven't touched me. You haven't even touched me. Not even close. You just brought me to a new group of people that need to hear about Jesus Christ. That's all that's happened. The crimes, the traps, the snares that you've laid for us causes me to look up even more because you're right, you're really good at laying traps and I can't find them or see them, but I know someone who can. And I know who's in trouble for laying them and it's you, not me. You know, It's a great place to be. And so I wanna encourage you in that this morning. There's not necessarily hope of making the cesspool clean and less smelly, but you can survive it and we can walk in light and bring other people out of it you know, and give them the hope of heaven. Our hope is in eternity. This place, it doesn't survive it. This place burns with a fervent heat. There is no cleaning and restoring it. It gets wiped out and a new creation takes place in the book of Revelation. What we're here to do is save as many people as possible from the destruction that Satan has planned for them in that dark place, snatching them out of the fire, you know, and, uh, bringing them into the light. And so I pray that we'd focus on that. You want to stop sin? You want to stop crime? You want to stop atrocities happening in this world? Lead people to Jesus Christ. Save households. Raise children in godly homes that are like overboard godly, if that's what the world wants to call it. That's what we need to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for David's heart. No matter what distresses came his way, no matter what difficulties, he cried out to you. He laid them before you, recognized that they were real problems, but he also knew there was real hope, that there was a real God who heard him and answered him. And we know that this morning. We lay our difficulties before you, our trials, our tribulations, the things that are coming upon us that we don't even know are around the corner, but you do. And you're preparing us this morning for those things. Help us to be full of love, full of grace and mercy and light stand up for righteousness, regardless of the pressures that we feel in this world, to dim that light or hide it under a bushel or to to blow it out entirely. Or we won't. We want to burn even brighter. So fan the flames of our heart. Give us a desire, a zeal for you with knowledge and help us to be obedient to you. Um, Not just obedient because you require it, but because that's the right thing to do in the right place to be. And because we love it. We love being on your side. Help us to be light in this dark world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Um, Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.